We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, I'm so low today. Did have a guest booked, uh, and unfortunately, we're going to have to reschedule that for a later date. Uh, it is the Friday during bye week. You know, I was thinking about this. Remember, before the season started, um, the 17 games was always going to be a part of it, but there were there were negotiations for a potential second bye week with the 17-game schedule. Uh, it didn't come to fruition. I do think when they eventually get to 18 games, which I would guess is going to happen in the next three to five years, that we will be in an 18-game regular season schedule, two bye weeks for sure with an 18-game schedule, two preseason games, hopefully no more than that, and maybe even a President's Day weekend Super Bowl, uh, which would give all of you uh, the day off following uh, the Super Bowl. But only one bye week. It's the Friday during bye week, which typically means less Washington football team talk. But we do have Washington football team talk today because Ron Rivera spoke with Mike Silver for a story for the team's website, and he expressed some dismay, some disappointment with two of his young defensive, uh, I was about to say defensive stars, defensive players. Uh, I will get to that here momentarily. By the way, if you're curious about the bye week, um, I don't know that you are, but I am. I'm going to tell you about something. Did you know that in 1993, the NFL scheduled two bye weeks? It's the only time in NFL history that you had planned two bye weeks. Now, after 9-11, the week two of the 9-11 season created essentially a second bye week for everybody because they called off football uh, for that weekend. Um, but in 1993, which was the first year of free agency, the first year here in Washington without Joe Gibbs, Richie Pettibone coached that team, uh, every team had two bye weeks. It was the weirdest thing in the world because the actual bye week itself had only been introduced a few years earlier. 1990 was the first uh, season in the NFL with a scheduled bye week. Um, and they did one bye week in 90, 91, 92, and then in 93, and I think it was an attempt to increase television dollars because the more weeks this was an 18-game you know, NFL season playing 16 games, each team playing 16 games, the more you spread it out over more weekends meant more television dollars. 
Um, Washington in that 1993 season had a bye week in week four and also had a bye week in week eight. I mean, they played six games in the first eight weeks of the season. That was the year, by the way, Richie Pettibone's year, that they opened with the Cowboys on Monday night football and beat the snot out of the Cowboys 35-16. to Brian Mitchell, by the way, was the starting running back in that game, went over 100 yards, had a couple of touchdowns. Rippon was really good in the game. And it was like, okay, here we go. Nothing's changed since Joe's gone. I mean, no one thought that anything was going to change after that Monday night season opening win over the Cowboys, who, by the way, keep in mind, the Cowboys were the defending Super Bowl champions. Washington had opened the 92 season in Dallas as the defending Super Bowl champions uh, and lost on Monday night 23-10. to And then Washington returned the favor against the Cowboys, who were the defending Super Bowl champions, in the 93 opener. And I think that would have been the year that Emmett Smith was holding out. Remember Emmett Smith held out after the Super Bowl for a few games? I think that was the uh, year that Emmett Smith held out. Cowboy fans can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but Washington smoked Dallas in the opener. Then they had a game in week two against the Phoenix Cardinals, uh, coached, by the way, by one uh, Joseph Bugle. Uh, and Washington lost that game 17-10, to but more importantly, they lost Mark Rippon early in the game to an injury. And Kerry Conklin came in as the backup quarterback. And that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that was the beginning of what we are still in the midst of. An unbelievable near 30-year run of futility. It really started in that 93 season, week two, against the Phoenix Cardinals at home. Rippon got hurt. They lost the game 17-10. to they eventually, during that two-by-week season, went 4-12. and 12. Richie got fired. Norv Turner got hired, came in the next year. Uh, and, it, you know, and, and remember, Norv Turner came in the next year. No Mark Rippon. Rippon was gone. All the remnants, or much of the remnants of the Super Bowl team in 91, um, were gone, and we started with the Norv Turner seven-year, you know, plus run of not very much, and it's just continued since. Um, anyway, uh, I got sidetracked. I just wanted to tell you about the two bye week. You know, there were some scheduling weird things back then too. You know, Washington was a bad team, and if you were a bad team and a and a last place team, you would end up playing another team in the NFC twice in a season. So in addition, in 94, Washington finished in dead last place, fifth place in the NFC East in 1993. In 1994, with a fifth-place schedule, they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers twice in addition to their division opponents twice. I think they did that twice, too. I think they played Tampa twice in two different seasons. I might be wrong about that part. Um, But anyway... Uh, just one bye week, just one bye weekend, um, but plenty of football to talk about. Uh, the game last night, by the way, man, can the um, 
can the Indianapolis Colts run the football with Taylor and Hines when they want to and when they can? And the Jets were uh, a willing uh, recipient last night uh, to the Indianapolis ground game, which included an incredible night uh, from Jonathan Taylor, who now will likely win the rushing title with uh, with Derrick Henry gone. Taylor uh, last night, 19 carries, 172 yards. Hines, 6 carries, 74 yards. They rushed for 260. They rushed for an average of 8.7 yards per carry. Carson Wentz was outstanding, too. Uh, uh, going 22 of 30 for 272 yards and three touchdowns as the Colts rolled to a 45 to 30 win over the Jets. Um, you're welcome for giving you out uh, the under uh, for that game last night. Not as a smell test pick, as a lean. I did say I kind of like the under. Um, that was just a little bit off. Josh Johnson was the quarterback for the Jets last night after Mike White, the hero of last week, got hurt. Yeah, that Josh Johnson. In fact, Josh Johnson came in um, last week briefly. And when he came in last week for Mike White, when Mike White got hurt during the Cincinnati game and then White came back and let him back, um, led the comeback over Cincinnati, um, that was Josh Johnson's first action since the 2018 season when he finished up quarterbacking for Washington, remember, and not doing bad, uh, that bad of a job. You know, there was some discussion. Do you remember this? Because it was already becoming apparent that Alex Smith was injured much more seriously. We didn't know about death as a possibility or amputation um, as a possibility, but we were starting to hear some things about, you know, uh, the contraption that they were putting around his leg. And, you know, certain doctors were weighing in on, like, this isn't good. He's not playing. Uh, He may never play football again. And some people were actually talking about Josh Johnson being re signed. That was a real conversation among many people um, entering the 2019 season, uh, bringing Josh Johnson back. Josh Johnson didn't take another NFL snap until last week um, after quarterbacking Washington in those final four games of 2018. Remember, he had a very good game against Jacksonville. I, should, I shouldn't say very good game. I thought he played really effectively in those back-to-back games against Jacksonville and Tennessee, although he had the back-breaking interception at the end of uh, the uh, Tennessee game. Um, Last night, off the bench in three quarters, Josh Johnson, who's now 35 years old, 27 of 41 for 317 yards, three touchdowns, and one one interception. A lot of it came in garbage time, but, uh, you know, kind of happy that he is hung in there and hung around Um, is now, at least for now, the backup behind Mike White, the starter, uh, who wasn't hurt seriously. They also traded for Joe Flacco two weeks ago, and Flacco may be available starting next week. So that may be the end for Josh Johnson. All right, I want to get to this Ron Rivera stuff. Um, So Ron Rivera did an interview with Mike Silver. Mike Silver, the longtime NFL reporter with various outlets, who took the gig in the offseason with Washington uh, as a contributor, an independent contractor. I don't think he's an employee. Um, You know, a 1099 independent contractor for the organization, an old friend of Ron Rivera's. They both went to Cal. They've known each other for years. Um, And Mike Silver was hired uh, as an independent contractor to write occasionally 
for the website. We were talking about him earlier in the week, I think, and I said, I don't even know if he's doing anything for the team anymore. Somebody did tweet me or text me and say that he's been a participant on the radio pregame show each week. Um, So I guess he has had more of a formal and regular role um, with this uh, with this gig that he has with the team. But anyway, he had not written anything for the website, as far as I know, since that story back in early September, where he described the offseason uh, search for the quarterback. You know, he uh, there was a lot of information in that story. We we found out definitively what Washington had offered for Matt Stafford, a first and a third, and how close they thought they were to landing Stafford. Um, the other quarterbacks that they were either interested in or even pursued, um, and then eventually h- how they landed on um, Ryan Fitzpatrick. So this story yesterday does reveal a few things, um, and uh, it also reveals. Ron's frustration with the defense, two uh, two players in particular, which I will get to here momentarily. But I did want to mention that there was some discussion about the quarterback situation. And um, Silver writes, uh, the obvious place to begin to assess uh, jump-starting this team, I'm paraphrasing now, um, is the quarterback position. And he writes, quote, Taylor Heineke, a relative unknown before last December, has been the guy since Ryan Fitzpatrick went down with a hip injury in the second quarter of Washington's season-opening defeat to the Los Angeles Chargers. And then he writes parenthetically, a setback that may well prove to be season-ending pending an MRI next week. I've suggested over the last several weeks that this Ryan Fitzpatrick injury might be worse than we thought. That was just based on nothing other than uh, hip subluxation and the report, remember, from Schefter that there's going to be an MRI during the bye week. And even before that, Ron Rivera had, I thought, laid down a couple of hints that it wasn't going to be anytime soon on Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, now it would appear as if it's not going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick at all. He will end up being 3-for-6 for 13 yards for the Washington football team. And I think that will be his career numbers with the Washington football team. You don't think they're going to re-sign him in the offseason, do you, at 38 years old? That somehow they're going to say, hey, uh, will you come back for one year for $5 bucks or whatever it is? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I think the plan is to solve the quarterback problem for not only now, but the future. And that's not going to be the solution, not not off of a serious injury. So Ryan Fitzpatrick, God, I was looking forward to seeing you, um, but it looks like we won't. Um, he also writes about the quarterback situation uh, a couple of things. He talks, first of all, Silver does, Um, about Heineke's moments, you know, in the Giant game and in the Atlanta game, but also that Washington offensively is pretty much in the middle of the pack production-wise, lower end in terms of the points scored, and they've struggled in the red zone. Rivera said in this story, quote, I love what he does. The problem with Taylor is when he overthinks it and tries to be too perfect. Look at the touchdown he th- touchdown throw he made to DeAndre Carter against Denver, and then the ball he threw to Adam Humphreys against Green Bay that got picked off in the end zone. 
It's basically the same route. He's working it to the corner, and if he throws that ball to Adam the same way as the one he throws to DeAndre, it's a touchdown. But he was trying to make the perfect throw instead of just laying it out there where it's supposed to be, closed quote. I I went back and looked at the throw to Humphreys. It's not really the same kind of play. It didn't seem like Carter matched up in the slot with a step or two on the defender. That really wasn't necessarily the case with Humphreys. It was a terrible throw. I'm not saying, but I don't think a great throw scores like it did with Carter. Anyway, um, nitpicking there. Uh, there's more, though, from Silver in writing about um, the conversation that he had with Ron Rivera. Now, this is not a Rivera quote. This is uh, Mike Silver writing that if the offense seems stale at any point during the second half of the season, it stands to reason that Rivera might be tempted to insert Allen as a change of pace. What Washington would lose in terms of mobility and anticipation might be offset by Allen's superior arm strength. Conversely, if Allen were to take over at quarterback and struggle, Heineke could be called upon in relief, which would theoretically keep opponents off balance. This is Silver surmising, projecting, you know, giving his opinion, but it's based on having a conversation with Ron Rivera. So I think there's an indication there that, you know, Kyle Allen's in play. Um, And maybe Tommy's right. Maybe it's the Carolina game, not the Tampa game. Maybe it's Ron and Scott and Kyle's return to Charlotte where they roll Kyle Allen out. Um, Kyle Allen does have superior arm strength to Taylor Heineke, but it's not like he's got great arm strength. But I, I'm, I'll be candid. I, while I don't really care that much either way, if he does use Allen, I'll sort of understand it and I'll sort of look forward to it. I think I know what Taylor Heineke is. I think we all do. Um, you know, I think Rivera and Turner like a lot about Heineke, probably the same things we like. But I have to think that they've come to the conclusion as well that he's not a full-time starting quarterback in the NFL. He's a backup. All right, let me get to the stuff that um, many people have been talking about since yesterday, since this story appeared on the team's website. Silver writes, as for the defense, well, there's a lot of room for improvement. Expected to be among the NFL's top units heading into 2021, Washington currently ranks 27th in both yards and points allowed, and its biggest stars have been struggling. One of them, defensive end Montez Sweat, suffered a jaw fracture against the Broncos that will keep him out several weeks. His fellow edge rusher, 2020 NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year Chase Young, has just one and a half sacks and three tackles for loss You know, through these first eight games. And here come the money bites, if you will, from Riverboat Ron. Quote, We would like to see a little bit more from those guys. They need to stop pressing and trust their teammates. Sometimes when a guy tries to chip them instead of running through the chip and blowing that guy up, you'll see them duck underneath or slip around and miss a chance to make a play. Sometimes Chase starts outside and plants his leg and cuts inside because he's trying to make a play, and the quarterback gets flushed to the outside. If Chase stays outside, he has an easy sack, but instead he dives underneath. Closed quote. There's more. 
uh, in talking about the forced fumble that Chase Young had on Denver's final ridiculous, by the way, possession in the game up 17-10, when they could have taken three knees and punted it and basically won the game. Instead, they fumbled twice and threw an incompletion. Um, But the last fumble was recovered by Washington, and it was forced by Chase Young. When asked about that specific play, about Chase Young forcing that fumble on Melvin Gordon, Rivera said, quote, that's great, but where were those plays earlier in the game? When they know you've got to be able to take the ball away from them and you still take it away from them, that's impressive, but where was that earlier? Why do we have to always put ourselves behind the eight ball to play that hard? We should always be at that level, closed quote. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. Um, Look, many of you have reached out during the course of the year and been a little bit critical of my criticism of Chase Young in particular. My implications at times during the season that Ron Rivera, when he expressed frustration about some defensive players being immature and undisciplined and not doing what they're supposed to do, that I said, I am 100% convinced that Chase Young is at least one of those players that he's referring to. He might not be the only player, but he's one of those players that he's referring to. Well, he just told you. Chase Young's been one of those players. But there's more to him just pointing out that Chase Young has played, you know, at times undisciplined. That last line about Chase Young, why do we always have to put ourselves behind the eight ball to play that hard? We should always be at that level. Wow, that is real criticism about effort. And there's there have certainly been some moments this year where you watch Chase Young and the play goes away from him and it's not as relentless or energetic as it was last year. Ron Rivera called out his two young defensive ends, one of whom is not going to play very much moving forward. The other of whom was the uh, rookie of the year last year on defense and has not had a good season. I've already said this many times. I don't give a shit about PFF numbers, uh, about hurries and pressures and quarterback hits and whatever. I'm not beholden to the sack stat. I understand that there's a lot more to playing the position. But we've all watched 99 a lot. You know, when the defense came out in game one, who were we watching? We watched them all last year, mesmerized at times at how good he was last year. Watched him a hell of a lot this year. Gone back and watched games a second and third time sometimes just to watch what he has been doing. He has not been a good player for this team this year. Again, let me emphasize, he's been far from their worst player. They've had much worse performances on defense than Chase Young's performance. But Chase Young has not had a good season. And anybody suggesting otherwise, like, don't look at his sack stats. Watch him play. He's impacting the game, man. They're doubling him the whole time. They're chipping him the whole time. There's definitely been an increase, I've noticed, in chipping and doubling, especially starting with the Kansas City game, and I saw much of it in the Green Bay and the Denver games too. But there are a couple of games where, uh uh-uh, not a lot of chipping or doubling. But by the way, who gives a crap about chipping or doubling? 
I mean, he's supposed to be a star player. Miles Garrett and 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 and, and, and T.J. Watt and, and Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa get doubled and chipped all game long. You know, he's not having a good season. It's okay to say. It's okay to say he's 23 years old and he's not having a good season and he, you know, perhaps may have gotten a little bit full of himself after last year. Maybe a little bit overconfident coming into this year. Maybe didn't work as much. I'm not suggesting that that's true or not. We do know that he did not show up for OTAs. And OTAs don't mean anything except when you are the team captain and you're the only Only player out of 90 that didn't post once during OTAs. Not once. And it wasn't because he was doing Family Feud. That was done back in March. There was a commercial and a shoot with Under Armour, but that took a day. There was more in Florida training with other people. Instead of being the captain that he was elected to be and being at OTAs. I told you guys during the spring, I am 100% sure that no one was pleased with him not posting. They were not happy at all. They weren't going to publicly criticize him because these are voluntary activities. But they were not happy that 90 players were on the roster and 89 of them showed up for OTAs and only one didn't, and that was Chase Young. He has had a poor season based on expectations. He's had a slightly below average season for just a normal player. And Ron Rivera called him out yesterday. He called out Montez Sweat also, but he really called out Chase Young. And he basically told you that one of the guys that he's been talking about when he has said over and over again, immaturity, uh, lack of discipline, uh, we've got guys that aren't doing their job, and essentially it is effing it up for everybody else, that Chase Young's been one of those guys. Now, I'm not giving up on Chase Young. He's too much of a talent. And there are nine games left this season. And there have been moments, you know, in games where you watch him and you're like, I need to see that every single play that you're in the game. Montez Sweat's out for the next four to six weeks. James Smith-Williams will likely get a, a, a significant percentage of those snaps. He's actually a guy they really like. I really do believe they love James Smith-Williams, a seventh-rounder a few years ago out of NC State. He had a sack last week. I think he's got two for the year. Maybe it's only one. Um, you're going to see a lot of 96. So you're not going to see like teams really concerned about 96 like they might be about Sweat. John Allen's been their best player defensively. He's been debatably the best player on the team this year. Uh, Anyway, uh, really interesting comments from Ron Rivera, for sure. Um, Publicly, in this story with Mike Silver, calling out Chase Young and Montez Sweat. It was not a Jay Gruden on RG3 under the bus slang like like, uh, Gruden did in 2014. That's the all-timer. It'll never be topped. The Albert Breer story from NFL.com late in that season in 2014 when Gruden just eviscerated Robert Griffin III. He couldn't take it anymore. He was so frustrated. He was so emotional. And he let loose publicly. I'll never forget, by the way, never forget Coach Thompson. Coach Thompson saying about what Jay Gruden 
had done saying you never you do not do that that is a young coach an inexperienced coach coach you never publicly do what Jay Gruden did and even coach Thompson said I can't remember ever reading these kinds of comments about a coach about a player that's still on his roster that's not what Ron Rivera did in the story obviously I mean it's a tiny fraction of it but still it is revealing and it is a confirmation for sure that Chase Young is one of the players and maybe the primary player that Rivera's been referring to over and over again this year when he's talked about lack of discipline um, and playing the scheme. Uh, By the way, there was one other thing that he said in this story in talking about the rest of the season. Um, He said... uh, Silver writes, Rivera is hopeful that a run of uh, a run of post buy success during Washington's next four games against Tampa Bay, Carolina, Seattle, and Vegas, the Raiders, can keep hope alive heading into a five game stretch against NFC East rivals, including a pair of clashes with the Cowboys to close the regular season. Quote from Riverboat Ron: If we can win three or more of those four, meaning the next four. Well, then those last five games become real and we can control our own destiny, closed quote. He also says, and let me, um, let me, uh, let me climb into uh, the head of the head coach here. My resolve hasn't waned because this is something I've been through. I've seen the process play out, and I know that it works. It's unfortunate right now because we still kind of hold ourselves back more than anything else by not paying enough attention to the details. But I do see, I do see improvement. We're getting there, closed quote. So I do think, like, the last three games, he has seen something. You know, and I think, you know, we've talked about this, that, I mean, it's weird. They lost all three games, and in two of them they had really no chance. And they are still a terrible third down team. But I I have seen, I think we've all seen, you know, just glimpses of maybe the defense improving a little bit. Although I think Sunday actually was a step back. And I know they only allowed 17 points, but I think it was a step back considering the opponent. But he still is, and remember, he's got a, a history of teams improving towards the end of a season. He still sees a team that's hanging in there, that's fighting, that's starting to get it, that's starting to get there. And he's like, you know, if somehow we could win three of the next four against Tampa, Carolina, Seattle, and Vegas, then we're five and seven, right? That would be five and seven uh, with all those division games left. Well, yeah, if they can win three of the next four, we can have that conversation about having something to play for. Does anybody really think they're going to win three of the next four? I don't. I think they're a bad team. I think they're just a bad team this year. It doesn't mean that, you know, they can't play better. They can't be more competitive. They can't continue to fight. Um, He can't continue to develop players. Uh, They're not beating Tampa Bay, um, the Panthers, and the Seahawks and the Raiders, three of those four. He'll be an underdog in all four. All four of them, he'll be an underdog. Oh, yeah, they'll be an underdog against Carolina on the road. There's no doubt about that. Okay, Um, that's it. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is a no for here, people. Um, Those of you that have uh, reached out, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be um, given his release by Cleveland. 
By the way, on Odell Beckham Jr., one thought real quickly. I mean, here's a guy that literally has not had any legitimate success since Eli Manning was in New York. Why not have somebody uh, reach out to Eli Manning to say, how do you get through to this guy? How do you coach this guy? How do you play with this guy? I'm looking at his stats right now. I guess last year, or in 2019, excuse me, um, in 16 games with Cleveland in his first year, he had 74 catches for 1,035 yards. Still well short of the 91, 96, and 101 receptions he had in his first three years in New York. So, um, you know, the 12, 13, and, I mean, he had 35 touchdowns in three years with the Giants, with Eli Manning as his quarterback. Uh, Deshaun Jackson's not going to be signed by this team. Um, by the way, on Beckham Jr., I would think New Orleans. I would think the Saints make the most sense for Beckham Jr. Um, Michael Thomas is out for the year. Um, that was uh, made clear the other day. Uh, I guess certainly with the whole Henry Ruggs just tragic situation in Vegas that it's possible that uh, Vegas might be interested um, in either one of them. But the Saints make the most sense to me. Um, but I don't know that he's going to succeed anywhere. Uh, that seems to be just dysfunction everywhere he lands. All right. Uh, I'll get to my smell test next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The smell test is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. If there's something when you sign up in the promo code already, in the promo code section, erase it and write KevinDC. If you do that, you're going to have your first deposit doubled. Okay, so whatever amount you put in, you're going to end up with twice that amount in your account to wager with. 
Uh, Kevin DC is the promo code at mybookie.ag or mybookie.com. Beyond that, mybookie is now giving you the opportunity to earn based off of referrals. So if you refer a friend and they sign up, mybookie will give you a 250% bonus on their first deposit. So that'll be put into your account based on their first deposit. I've mentioned this many times before. MyBookie is a place that is totally trustworthy. They've got fair point spreads, fair money lines, fair pricing, and every way you want to bet any sporting event, you can bet it through MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com, and they will take care of you. Promo code KevinDC. All right, the smell test went three and six last week. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to really dwell on last week. Uh, I, I had Michigan. I, I really felt good about Michigan. Um, felt good uh, certainly about the Dolphins until the very end. Um, it just seemed like there was one. Uh, it's gone that way this year. It's gone that way this year. It's a little bit frustrating because in the like last week was one of those weeks where I had a bunch of games written down and I, I didn't give them out. And if I'd given them all out, um, I didn't give them out because they didn't fit you know exactly the way I wanted them to fit. But if I'd given all of them, all of them out, because I played many of them, um, like I played the Texans on Sunday. That's one of the wildest covers ever. Uh, the Texans Rams game. They're down thirty-eight nothing. They're getting seventeen. They scored twenty-two points unanswered over the final seven minutes of the game to uh, to, uh, to cover and lose by sixteen. I had the Jets last week. Um, there, I had the Steelers last week, personally, whatever, uh, it doesn't help you at all. Um, and I'm still getting my ass kicked this year. Uh, now these things turn, um, and some of you would suggest being 14 games below, uh, 500 and having 14 games that I'm giving out right now, which I will, and I'll get to momentarily that I'm chasing, I'm not chasing. Um, I do like the board this week, and I'm giving you all of the games that I like. I'm not hesitating on any of these games um, this weekend. Uh, It'll turn eventually. I don't know if it'll turn enough between now and the end of the year, but it's going to turn. You're probably joining me at the right time um, and haven't, you know, if you haven't played the picks so far uh, this year, um, you're probably getting them at the right time because I would imagine that, uh, the losing weekends of the 500 weekends can't continue. They can, just so you know, they can. By the way, I spoke last night, or I was a guest last night with Tom and Marty Conway in the class they teach at Georgetown. We talked about it on the podcast yesterday. Tommy, I'm sure, will tell you on Tuesday that he was very disappointed, but I had a good time. I enjoyed myself. Uh, we talked a lot of gambling. Uh, with all of their young people uh, in that class. Eager young people to learn from one Professor Lavero. All right, let's get to the games. Uh, tonight, Boston College. Um, they've lost four games in a row, and they've barely scored in any of those games. So that's the team I'm going to give you. Literally, they have lost four games in a row in which they have scored seven, uh, scored 13, 7, 14, and 6 points. And they're only catching three tonight. Three-point underdog at home against a Virginia Tech team that can score and beat Georgia Tech last week. Uh, That line is too short. The public likes Virginia Tech. There is sharp money on BC tonight at home, too. Uh, I like Boston College tonight uh, getting the three. Tomorrow, 
Ohio State's a 15-point favorite in Lincoln against Nebraska. 11 a.m. local time start. Man, Scott Frost, mm, I think he's the right guy. I I shouldn't say I, I think he's the right guy. I don't think he's a bad coach. And I don't think that this Nebraska team is a bad team. They've lost three in a row. They have lost five of their last six. Listen to these, the scores of these games. They lost a really tight game against Oklahoma, 23-16. They lost to the number three team in America, 23-20 in overtime at Michigan State. Uh, they then beat Northwestern 56-7. Then they had the lead in the fourth quarter against Michigan and lost 32-29. to They lost last week, or two weeks ago, excuse me, at Minnesota 30-23. to And last week at home, they lost to Purdue 28-23 as a seven-and-a-half point favorite. And I gave them out last week because I thought they were laying too many. The odds makers really do like Nebraska. And most people think that Ohio State should be favored by more. Seven and one, the number five team in the playoff rankings in Lincoln against a team that's, you know, lost and lost a lot of close games, but they're three and six overall. Um, Nebraska is definitely the anti-public play. There is some sharp money on Nebraska as well. Give me the Cornhuskers plus the fifteen points. Uh, Auburn is a team that I actually think is pretty good, um, better than most people think. And I actually think we're headed towards an iron bowl at the end of the year. That's going to be, um, it's going to be very interesting, uh, as, as it relates to the, uh, to the playoffs, uh, to the college football playoff, because Bama, um, plays LSU tomorrow. And, and this will be the game for Bama before the SEC title game, the expected SEC title match between Alabama and Georgia. Auburn is at Texas A&M tomorrow. Um, Auburn last week beat an Ole Miss team that's rolling. Now, Matt Corral was injured for a little of that game, but Auburn's won right now four of their last five. Their lone loss coming to Georgia 34-10. to I'm not suggesting that they've beaten anybody great. They beat Georgia State. They beat a bad LSU team. Uh, they did go to Arkansas and win. And then last week, impressively, at home over Ole Miss. A&M, meantime, um, since... Uh, since beating Bama, handled Missouri and handled South Carolina, two pretty bad teams, two easy covers in their last two after upsetting Alabama. Uh, Jimbo's got it going well, although, God, how about the rumors about Jimbo to LSU? Is Texas A&M a a worse job than LSU? A lot of money at Texas A&M, that's for sure. All those Texas schools, lots of money, lots of oil, gas, energy, money at those schools, uh, much more so than there is at LSU. Uh, A&M's laying four at home uh, against Auburn. Public really likes A&M. Uh, I like Auburn, and I think Auburn's a team to really watch the rest of the year. Bo Nix is playing his best football there. Uh, I like Auburn plus the four tomorrow. Uh, West Virginia tomorrow at home plus three and a half against a rolling Oklahoma State team. Uh, the Cowboys now, after that Iowa State loss, they beat Kansas last week. That Iowa State loss, tough loss, maybe a very controversial you know, spot at the end of that game. Um, but this is an explosive Oklahoma State team. Uh, West Virginia last week impressive with their win over Iowa State. The line is short. 
Um, they're in uh, Morgantown. I like West Virginia plus the three and a half. Gary Patterson's gone from TCU. Wow, we didn't talk about that, I don't think, at all this week. Gary Patterson's run of 20 years in Fort Worth, uh, the second longest uh, current run to Kirk Ferentz, uh, Kirk Ferentz at, at Iowa. Gary Patterson, one of the real defensive geniuses of you know this century as a college football coach. He's gone from TCU. It's a new day. They're playing Baylor. That's a rivalry game, really, for anybody at TCU. Baylor's seven and one, ranked twelfth in the country. I mean, they've got the the Baylor actually controls pretty much their own fate. If they run the table, um, if Baylor were to run the table, you know, beating you know t- uh, t- Texas, uh, t- beating TCU, and then beating Oklahoma next week, uh, and winning a Big Twelve title, they could actually you know make a run to the playoff potentially. Um, I don't know why Baylor's only laying seven in Fort Worth against TCU. TCU got blown out by Kansas State last week, blown out by West Virginia and Oklahoma in the weeks prior to that. I'll take TCU. They're a major anti-public play. The biggest anti-public play of the weekend is the game that stuck out to me right from the jump. And this is to me, like for anybody, uh, any of you that uh, ever ask about, you know, I don't really understand the smell test. You know, I, you know, I don't like you'll say, you know, the line short, and then you you know go against the line being short. Yeah, um, let me explain. This is the game that is the perfect game to explain it. Michigan State last week beat Michigan. They came from thirty to fourteen down to win thirty-seven to thirty-three to run their record to eight and zero. Sparty is number three in the college football initial rankings, behind Georgia and Bama. Michigan State's playing at Purdue, West Lafayette home of the Purdue Boilermakers. Purdue is an unranked 5-3 and three team. And Michigan State, as the number three team in America, is laying three. They're a three-point favorite at Purdue. Now, anybody that just kind of came in off the street and said, number three playing unranked, they're only a three-point favorite? How does that work? Shouldn't they be like a 14-point favorite or a 10-point favorite or a seven-point favorite? Anything but like three. Three just seems like Vegas screwed up. So this is the perfect you know, example of a smell test pick. Uh, the regular John Q. public better, and so many of them exist now with the legalization of sports betting, they look at that and they'll actually say amongst themselves, wow, they, uh, are there injuries in this game? Did they lose Kenneth Walker III, their running back, their Heisman Trophy uh, 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 candidate? Uh, it is the starting quarterback Peyton Thorne out? Who's who do who, no? They're they're healthy. Oh well, then somebody messed up. Somebody messed up out in Vegas. This can't possibly be right. The, that's why the line is short. The line is perceived to be short. Michigan State. Most people think perception wise should be seven, eight, nine, ten point favorite. They're only a three point favorite at Purdue. They are begging you to take Michigan State and lay the short number. If I can't talk you out of betting Michigan State and into betting Purdue, allow me to at least talk you out of betting the game at all. Stay off the game. If you don't have the stones to bet Purdue plus the three at home this week because you're like, that, that line's wrong. They should be getting 10 and I'm only getting three. 
If I can't talk you into to why Purdue is the sharp side this week, at least allow me to talk you out of playing the game. Michigan State is the dumb side. That's where all the dummies will have their money. Now, let me say, as I've said for years, the dummies win too. Okay, if the public lost every bet, they wouldn't bet anymore. The, the public wins. They've won a lot this year. The public wins these games that even seem so obvious as trap games. So it's not, there's no guarantees in gambling, but this one represents the smell test as much as any game this year represents the smell test. Michigan State off that dramatic comeback win. The perception is they're the number three team in America. They're on a roll. They beat Michigan, and they're playing lowly Purdue, and they're only laying three points. I know Purdue beat Iowa a couple of weeks ago, but Iowa has proven to be vastly overrated. Purdue's capable, though, which is why the odds makers have kept the line at three. That's the other thing to watch. That line's just been sitting there at three all week long. Even though all of the public bets and all of the public money has come in on Michigan State, and yet they've just kept the line at three. That's another indication. God, if you can't tell that I love Purdue, I love Purdue. I also like Washington. They're getting a seven at home against the number four team in the college football playoff uh, ranking, um, Oregon. They're, just, they're laying just seven against Washington. Um, that line is definitely short. Uh, the public pounding Oregon right now. Oregon's been on a roll since that crazy overtime loss to Stanford. Um, Washington's won a couple of weeks in a row. They struggle to score a little bit. I gave them out, remember, a few weeks ago against UCLA. Uh, and they did not get it done. They lost that game. It was a close game. Um, but that line just isn't um, high enough uh, to get the public off uh, Washington, uh, to get them off Oregon, excuse me. So give me Washington in that one. And then Arizona State minus 8.5 is the uh, last college play against SC. Let's get to the NFL um, games uh, and see if I can't shorten the, the discussion up here. Um I've liked the Giants a lot this year. Um, I was on the Giants Monday night. I did not give them out as a smell test pick. I sort of leaned Giants in the game. Uh, I had them against Carolina two weeks ago. I also had them against the Rams when they got destroyed, and I had them against the Cowboys when they had all the injuries and got destroyed. But I also had them against the Saints when they won outright uh, in the Superdome. I have had the Giants, I think, in the smell test. Um, four out of the last five weeks, and it was almost five in a row uh, against Kansas City. Um, Vegas likes the Giants. Um, There's no doubt that they have given them some respect. I was not overly impressed with them Monday night, but they got the cover. They're only getting three at home Sunday against the Raiders. Uh, That's not a lot for a team that's five and two in the Raiders, and the Raiders obviously with the just the, the tragedy of the rug situation, tragedy for the family um, and the woman who lost her life with, with the dog um, in the car as well. Um, but the Raiders have, have dealt with a hell of a lot here. They're going to the Meadowlands. It's that 1 o'clock East Coast start for a West Coast team. Uh, I like the Giants plus the three. Uh, Baltimore um, is 13-1 and one straight up off of bye weeks during uh, the Harbaugh reign, I guess. Um, or maybe it's just the last uh, 14 years in. Well, I guess that would be right, right? Harbaugh is, is Harbaugh been there for 14 years now. 
Is that right? Uh, I read this stat, and now that I'm saying it, I'm like, has Harbaugh actually been in Baltimore for 14 years as the head coach? Yeah, he has been. Um, 2008 was his first uh, year as the head coach. Uh, this is year 14. Um, so he couldn't be 13-1 and one off of a bye week. Maybe it's 12-1, and one, whatever. Straight up, he's very good off of a bye week. Uh, that's the point. Uh, they are laying six, less than a touchdown, against a team who, when we last saw them, was horrendous in the Minnesota Vikings Sunday night in their loss to Cooper Rush and the Cowboys. Public loves Baltimore. I'll take the Vikings. The public loves the Chargers laying a short number at Philly. I'll take the Eagles plus one and a half. Uh, the Panthers are getting a short number at home against the uh, Patriots, who now are a bit of a uh, a public darling in terms of the betting. Um, and yet Carolina gave them last, out last week against the Falcons. They're getting three and a half at home against the Patriots. I'll take the Panthers there. Uh, the 49ers, forget Kyler Murray's situation. They shouldn't be a two-point favorite over the Cardinals, uh, even if Colt McCoy starts, and I don't think he will. Um, the public's all over the 7-1 and one Arizona Cardinals. I'll take San Francisco and lay the two. And then Monday night game, I'm going to give you out right now. I like the Bears plus the seven at Pittsburgh. So there you go. There's the smell test. BC tonight, Boston College tonight plus three. Nebraska plus 15. Auburn plus four. West Virginia plus three and a half. TCU plus seven. Purdue plus three. Washington plus seven. Arizona State minus eight and a half. And then Sunday, the Giants, Vikings, Eagles, 40. 49ers, Panthers, and then Monday night, the Bears. Uh, One last subject for you for the day when we come back. Um, It's titled College Dead Money. I had never heard the term before, but I'll explain what it means right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast uh, if you haven't done it already. really helps us. Rate us and review us wherever you can. All right, two things to finish up with here in this uh, final segment. Uh, I'll explain what college dead money means here uh, momentarily. Uh, but I did not include Maryland football in the smell test, even though I kind of like the Terps' chances tomorrow to keep it close against Penn State. Penn State got healthier last week after losing two games that they would have never lost had their starting quarterback, Clifford, not been hurt midway through the Iowa game and not been compromised, really, in that stupid nine-overtime game against Illinois. They played very well last uh, Saturday night uh, in Columbus against Ohio State. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, they sort of sort of shot their uh, best shot last week. Uh, they come in as a 10-point favorite in College Park. Maryland beat Indiana. Last week, 38-35. The Terps need one more win for bowl eligibility. Um, I kind of like their chances to keep it close. Penn State's so good on defense, though. God, they're good. Uh, uh, Leah Tungavailoa just has to protect the football tomorrow. Has to do a good job of protecting the football uh, tomorrow. Penn State will probably try to run it. Not really their their typical way of going about it. They love run extension throws. They certainly threw a lot of screens and a lot of bubbles and a lot of quick game stuff at Ohio State last Saturday night. Uh, But I'd love to see the Terps um, play Penn State tough tomorrow and get a win. Uh, They're 5-3. and They still have Rutgers, but they also still, unfortunately, have games against um, Michigan State and Michigan before they get uh, to Rutgers. So uh, Terps tomorrow at home against Penn State. 
um, in College Park, 330 uh, on my radio station, the Team 980. Mark Schlebaugh is one of my favorite um, uh, guests to have on to, to talk college football on the radio show, and he's been on the podcast as well before. He wrote a story with Paula Levine at ESPN. I had never heard this term uh, as it relates to college uh, sports. Dead money is always a common term when we're talking about NFL, and it's you know a guy who is not on your roster and yet is still counting against your cap. You know, we talk about dead cap money. Um, well, the the boom of dead money in college sports is the, is the title of this story. And it's an amazing story. According to an ESPN analysis of financial records of athletic departments at public universities, uh, college Division I programs spent more than $533.6 million in dead money in an 11-year period from January, January 1, 2010 to January 31, 2021. What is dead money? It's money those programs owe to coaches or owed to coaches in football and in men's and women's basketball. Coaches who were fired without cause with still time left on their contracts. The severance payments were made over several years or in a few cases in one lump sum. Remarkably, the dead money total is actually much more than that. The financial records did not include payments for many of the coaches who were fired during or after the 2020 season and the 2020-2021 basketball seasons. In football alone, FBS schools committed another $107.6 million in severance pay before mitigation to fired coaches and their staffs in 2020. This is like one of those numbers that's kind of been kept quiet. If you've followed the whole discussion about paying players in college, it's been one of those conversations, to be honest, that's been pretty frustrating if you've ever really delved into the numbers, the athletic department numbers at most major Division I or FBS schools. There aren't many Division I programs that make money. Now, some of them make a lot of money. The Ohio States, the, the Alabamas, the Texases, the USC's. Um, you're talking about the big-time football schools that bring in so much revenue. You know, Texas has their own Longhorn network. Um, that it far exceeds the expense uh, associated with running, you know, a 27-team athletic department, as an example. Most schools like Maryland either break even or lose money. Now, so the, the conversation is always about, you know, uh, look at all of these TV deals. Look at all the money they're raking in. Well, that's gross revenue. That's top line revenue. Okay, that's not net. That's not profit. It, it costs a hell of a lot of money to run a college football team, to run a college basketball program, and so most universities, most athletic departments don't make money. I know it's hard for many of you to believe. And sure, you could eliminate all of the other sports and just keep the revenue-generating sports of football and men's basketball. And then there would be more money to play with if you didn't have to support all of those other sports. But you do. 
And by the way, even if you didn't have to support all of those other sports, it's not like there's such a huge profit margin in these places where you can start paying the athletes the kind of money that many of you think that they deserve. Now, this amount of money is really interesting because it's kind of a hidden number. I'm sure maybe some of you have thought about it in the past. I've never really thought about the dead money in college sports. You, you read all the time about coaches getting fired before the end of their contracts and schools having to pay out those deals. So it makes sense that there's a lot of money paid for people who aren't on your payroll anymore or aren't working for you. But I didn't realize it was this much. 116 coaches have received more than a million dollars in severance payments. 116 different coaches in men's football, men's basketball, and women's basketball have received severance packages because they were fired or they were let go without cause of more than a million dollars. The significant percentage of the dead money comes from football. And the significant percentage of the football number of dead money comes from the SEC schools. There's $123.2 million in dead money um, payments, you know, severance payments uh, for SEC coaches, followed by the Pac-12 at 85.3, the Big Ten at 67.7 million, um, and then the non-Power 5 at 47.4. So that takes into account a lot of different schools in a lot of the lesser conferences. And then the Big 12 and the ACC is dead last. The SEC, by the way, also is number one in men's basketball. So they've fired more coaches and have been on the hook for more money firing coaches without cause in SEC basketball. They probably feel the ability to do that at many of these SEC schools because of all of the money that SEC football brings in. Now, specific to actual schools themselves, this is where it gets interesting because I was actually curious if Maryland was even on the list of schools. You know, the top 10 of schools having payouts over the last 11 years, Auburn's number one, $31.2 million in dead money payouts. More than $18 million has been paid to Gene Chizik and Gus Malzahn. Nebraska, Bo Pelini, Mike Riley were, were, fired within a, uh, were fired within a year of contract extensions. And they have been on the hook for $25.8 million. Texas was next. Ole Miss, Kansas, because they fired Turner Gill, Charlie Weiss, and David Beatty in, in, during that uh, time frame. And by the way, never had a good team. Arizona State, South Carolina, Oregon, Texas A&M, and UCLA. The top 10 recipients of severance payments after they were fired without cause. Will Muschamp got a $19.2 million payout. All right, he got $12.9 million from South Carolina alone. But earlier in the decade, he received $6.3 million to stop coaching Florida. <laughs> Will Muschamp working a lot less for the most. Charlie Strong was second on that on this list. Todd Graham, Kevin Sumlin, Gus Malzahn, Bo Pelini, Mark Helfrich, Rich Rodriguez, Jim Mora, and Thad Mata is the one basketball coach. 
He picked up a $9 million payout buyout from Ohio State in 2017. The only basketball coach to top uh, to, to, to reach the top 10. Now, I mentioned the top 10 schools um, in, uh, in overall dead money. Where did Maryland come in on this list? Well, they didn't come in in the top 10, but they did come in in the top 15. They came in at 14th overall with $13 million in dead money payouts, much of it going to DJ Durkin, who got $5.4 million when he was fired in October of 2018 after the Jordan McNair you know, death, which related into the investigation of that tragedy. Um, Randy Edsel, Ralph Friedgen, Matt Canada, um, and a couple of football assistant coaches and assistant strength coaches are on the list as well. So Maryland with football, and it hasn't had much success in football, the 14th most in the country in dead money severance payouts. Uh, it is really kind of a hidden number, or I shouldn't say hidden number because it's public. It's a public number with these public universities, but it's an under-discussed number. I thought it was very interesting. That's a lot of money to pay out for coaches that didn't work out. A half a billion dollars, more than a half a billion dollars over a 10-year period, an 11-year period, roughly. A lot of money um, for essentially not working. Um, wow. Uh, I, that was a really interesting uh, story and reveal for me anyway. Uh, that's it for today. Just one quick recommendation. Uh, Dope Sick. Uh, I've talked about it with Tommy. Thank you to Cowboy Clay uh, for recommending it and others. Many of you um, continue to give me ideas and shows. I am really glad I took all of you up on that one. Six episodes in on Hulu. It's totally worth it. Just sucks that you have to wait a week for each episode. I prefer the Netflix dropping a season at a time format. Uh, but anyway, that's it for the day. Back on Monday, big week next week. You know, we're, we'll be building up to the big revenge game against the Buccaneers a week from Sunday. Enjoy your football weekend. We'll recap all the NFL and college football on Monday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.